Good morning, economics students. This is a episode trying to help you understand the differences between absolute and comparative advantage. These are two really important concepts for understanding why it often makes sense for nations to trade with each other uh, and why most economists, nearly universally, believe that free trade between countries is good and uh, positive for economic growth and for our standard of living in our lives. Um, it can be a tricky concept to understand, uh, especially comparative advantage. Um, but I hope at the end of this and with some of the resources included that you'll have a better sense of it. Um, I first want to start with this basic concept, a refresher on opportunity cost. Uh, and that's this idea, right, that everything that I do has not only the cost of making the thing I do, or make, or just, you know, the time, land, labor, human capital thing I do, um, but also has this sort of hidden cost of anything else I could have done, right? So if I therefore do something, uh, or work a job, or provide a service, or spend my time on something that isn't optimal financially, um, I'm losing money, right? I could be wealthier, I could be uh, getting more out of my resources, right? So we don't have absolute resources. Uh, if we extend that idea from a person to a country, to a nation, we can hopefully understand pretty quickly that you know, even countries have a limited amount of land, labor, human, and physical capital. Um, now, sometimes this gets tricky because, of course, there are always, you know, let's say unemployed people, um, or it seems as though we could do something else, uh, have resources for it, etc. Um, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just start with that basic idea that as a country, just like as a person, uh, we need to make choices about how to utilize our scarce resources, okay? Uh, and one other uh, kind of analogy, if you will, uh, I think is epitomized by this uh, documentary series I've been watching the last couple of weeks about the 1998 Chicago Bulls. Check it out if you, if you have ESPN. Um, is, uh, let's take Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan quits basketball before this uh, documentary aired, of course, to play baseball for the Chicago White Sox. And, you know, it's often considered a failure. Uh, but he did hold himself to some account at AA, which is a pretty uh, rigorous level of baseball competition. Many people who consider themselves baseball players don't succeed at that level. So I think if you look at the stats, you know, Michael Jordan hit below 250. Um, but was, again, really had just, had not played the game since a child. Um, plays for about a year, uh, into the second year of that experiment goes, uh, as baseball is kind of going on strike, or if their strike is extending into a second year, I should say. Uh, in 1995, he decides to then return to basketball, so he's got the better part of a full season. You know, really having never played the game before, just being a good athlete. 
And he did all right, right? I mean, a lot of us would be pretty impressed with ourselves, I think, if we did what he did uh, in AA. And he was, you know, not a completely unsuccessful professional, minor leagues are professional, baseball player. Um, but obviously he's the greatest basketball player of all time. So why would he? You know, it's just not an optimal financial decision, uh, among other things, for him to utilize his scarce resources, his time and his energies um, in doing something that isn't really as productive, right? So that's, I hope, another idea, right, that we need to be careful about how we use our time. Even if we could do something, is it the optimal thing we're doing, right? So, you know, Michael Jordan, if you're smart, should <laughs> play professional basketball, right? And if he really loves baseball that much, he could, like, buy a baseball team, right, with all the extra earnings he makes in basketball versus you know, being a baseball player, right? Uh, essentially, we're saying if the country of Michael Jordan were producing something, it should produce basketball, and it should trade for everything else. Why would he waste his time uh, producing his own baseball content or, you know, building his own home or repaving his driveway, right? All these things, if Michael Jordan maybe don't make a lot of sense, right? You should trade for them. You should make money doing what your optimum your optimal economic economically at right um, so take a country like the United States and let's just make a kind of easy example let's say a, another country like uh, Canada right there's a whole lot of things uh, the United States is probably better at producing than Canada right and Maybe, let's just say, um, you know, we're better at producing steak and biotechnology, right? But Canada is pretty good at producing, say, financial services and oil, right? It's pretty easy to understand that if they're really good at one thing and we're really good at the other thing, we should trade, right? We produce our good products, they produce their good products, and then we trade right that's the concept of absolute advantage so if you look at some of these charts and you have country a and country b oftentimes you'll find country a is better at making both products or any product i have listed than country b um and so for that we need another kind of comparison which we'll get to in a second but other times right country a is good at one thing country b is good at another thing seems pretty obvious why they should trade so that's absolute advantage right um but getting back to my example, if country A is better at everything than country B, should we still trade? Uh, and the answer is yes. Because, you know, the United States might be fantastic at making t-shirts, make the greatest t-shirts ever, but we probably don't want to devote our scarce resources to making t-shirts. It would be more optimal if we say a lot of t-shirts are made in Bangladesh or Pakistan or the Philippines, let's say, you know, we should put our factories and our labor and our human capital into doing things that we're better at, right, that give us more wealth. So in those situations, even when country A, say the United States, is better at making all the products than, than uh, Bangladesh is, Right? It still makes sense for us to trade because when we switch some of our capacity making t-shirts, 
who would then be giving up, I don't know, making jet engines or something, right? That's more lucrative. Uh, there's a math, mathematical ratio you can make. So if I want to understand, okay, who should make jet engines? I look at the cost of making a jet engine as expressed in the other products, right? So for a jet engine, you know, maybe the United States can make 100 jet engines or we can make 1,000 t-shirts, right? So for every jet engine I make, I'm giving up 10 t-shirts, right? But say Bangladesh can only make one jet engine and they can make, you know, 500 t-shirts, something like that, right? Uh, that's going to be a, you know, for every one jet engine, we have 500 t-shirts, right? So even though the United States is better at making t-shirts, 1,000 to 500, twice as good, right? We're giving up a lot more every time, you know, we're, we're sorry, I should say, we're giving up a lot less every time. We're only giving up 100 t-shirts, whereas Bangladesh is giving up 500 t-shirts. And in that first video, uh, I think they walk you through that math very simply and clearly. It's a little bit of a silly example of DVDs and bags of wheat or something like that. But it's a pretty simple concept. So that's comparative advantage, right? Um, and then if we switch it the other way, you'd find that, you know, Bangladesh actually has less of a trade-off. They're giving up fewer jet engines every time they would make. Uh, what was the other example I gave? T-shirts. So that's this idea of comparative advantage. It makes sense for us to trade even with countries that are less good at making a product simply because we can then focus on the thing that we are really good at and it's really lucrative to us, right? Essentially, we should pick the thing we're most good at or maybe more better at if we're just comparing the two countries, right? And that is hopefully pretty intuitive, right? We make those kinds of decisions back to the start of this in our lives all the time, right? I might pick the thing that I'm really good at, right? Most of you probably had to decide, and this goes back to opportunity cost, right? Which, you know, one of the many activities I'm interested in maybe gives me the most, I like the best, you know, I see more of a future in it for myself, any of the kind of thing like that, right? Um, you know, it's not to say that we don't like the other thing or we're not good at it, and maybe we're even better at it than most people, but we often have to pick the thing we're more better at, right? Uh, this can get a little bit tricky when you look at a real economy, and hence some of the readings um, that I want you to do on the Trump, President Trump's um, views on trade. Um, this is not meant to persuade you or dissuade you that President Trump is right on those views, um, although many economists have strong opinions about that. Um, they're simply meant to inform so that you get this perspective, um, because although it seems very simple, in terms of economics and in terms of the math, it is anything but simple in terms of everyday life. Um, let's just take a kind of pretty, I think, easy example, right? We might, back to my other scenario, we might not be, really, it might not make sense for us to make t-shirts. We might have a huge cost. We might not be the best country to make t-shirts, right? But when you're then closing down t-shirt factories in New England or something, and putting a bunch of people out of business, maybe a job they've done for many decades, and you say, oh, okay, we're gonna make our t-shirts in Bangladesh now, and oh, don't worry, we're better at this other thing, so we should do that. That doesn't always help the people who are losing their jobs making t-shirts, right? It, it does help the whole economy. It does help our nation's wealth, 
uh, but it doesn't impact those people. Uh, well, it doesn't it doesn't impact those people in a positive way? And so that's the kind of great conundrum. Uh, and there are a lot of industries and products that you might say, well, maybe we just want to make sure we got some capacity here in our country. Maybe there's national security concerns that we don't trust. Uh, you know, the other country that's making them, or they have human rights issues, or we don't like them for some other reason. Uh, and that gets into some very complicated stuff. And so there's often this um, argument, I think you'll see this in the readings, that uh, every time, you know, we close down a factory due to global trade, right, there's some political leader, there's some wealthy connected person who's like ripping us off, right? Because a community could be decimated by the closure of their paper factory or their t-shirt factory or their you know, for that matter, their coal industry, their auto parts plant, right, could just devastate a community that depends on those jobs. And you're like, well, why? We were good at this, right? And it's a pretty difficult argument to make that, oh, yeah, but our economy should focus on these other things. And so we can get those parts more efficiently from, you know, China. Uh, so we should import them and not buy them from you guys. Even though, yeah, you're pretty good at it, but they're like a little cheaper. Right, that seems to be uh, not sit well, maybe rightfully so, and hence that's why it's this uh, simple math problem is not so simple in terms of a social problem, political problem, that sort of thing. Uh, and so that's what I hope the readings, and there's quite a few of them, uh, will elicit on Trump's views on trade. Uh, for decades, all politicians, really from both parties, have been very much in favor of globalization and very much in favor of free trade, more of it, the more the better. Um, and it's been a relatively few. Um, and oddly, it's sometimes on the far left, like Bernie Sanders, um, or kind of the kind of a little bit more of the eccentric right, like Donald Trump, uh, who criticized these policies. When you add in another layer, that a lot of the uh, efficiencies that a country has does have something to do with what they're doing with their currency, more on that later next week, um, and their uh, manipulations countries can do to their currency to make it so that they are the more efficient provider making a certain product, um, it gets really hard. And then when you just look around, right? I mean, we have unemployment higher in the United States right now, um, but there's always some unemployment. Where you're like, well, why can't we just have those people do this thing? Wouldn't that, you know, that we just sent overseas, wouldn't that be better? Uh, and that becomes kind of tricky. Um, again, an economist would say, no, it wouldn't be. Let's do the math, right? We can get this other thing more efficiently and cheaper. We should make what we're better at and buy that other thing. Use our resources better, right? But in the real world of people's lives and livelihoods and, you know, the sense of uh, importance, many people check and pride to their, to their jobs and to their industries and to their communities that have maybe always been the place where we made these parts for this truck, really difficult. So I don't expect you to kind of formulate a super clear or completely clear opinion on all this, um, but I do hope you think it through. Uh, and it starts with some of this kind of math stuff and then we have to start reading, you know, arguments people make about it. So that's what this week is designed to do for you. I hope that this helped explain those two concepts a little bit better, and I'll see you next time.